It's interesting. <clears throat> Tomorrow I will be uh, flying out of Grand Rapids to go down to uh, Nicaragua, and uh, I'm on the same flight. Uh, we were talking, and uh, I'm like, well, I got to leave tomorrow at 6. They're like, we're leaving at 6. I'm like, well, I'm flying American. We're flying American. I'm going to Miami first. We're going to Miami. So I'll see some of you all tomorrow, which would be nice. Uh, that usually doesn't happen. My name, yeah, <laughs> Nicaragua's good enough for me right now. I appreciate it. We, uh, my name is John McGinnis, and it's just a, a privilege and a thrill to be here. We've been missionaries with you guys. We were trying to do the math. We believe it was 2010 was when you guys brought us on, and God has moved and adjusted and shifted ministries over the years and brought us to the place where we are. Um, see if this is going to work. It does. We have changed a little bit over the years. Uh, the upper left-hand corner was about the time we were getting ready to leave uh, to the mission field. My, my kids were little, and uh, the bottom right, we continue to grow. Uh, you may, it's been a while since we have been here, uh, in 2021, both of my oldest daughters were married. Uh, one was married in May the other, of 2021. The other was married in the 1st of July. They were six weeks apart, which is a, a, a rough one for a father and even rougher for a mother who did the food for both weddings. Um, so we had both, both daughters were married uh, in 2021. Uh, we have a wonderful, couple wonderful blessings now. Uh, we uh, became grandparents in March. Uh, Josie was born uh, to Katie and Austin. Katie's our oldest daughter, and, and uh, they, they're down in North Carolina right now. And we get to see them every now and then. And uh, Josie's coming up next week. So is her mom and dad, but Josie's the one that we care about. She's coming up next week, and will stay throughout Thanksgiving with us, which will be a blessing. And then our second daughter, Megan, is actually due on December 3rd. So we are going to be grandparents twice over with another little girl. Uh, at least that's what they're telling us. So we'll see here in, in December 3rd. And it's just been great to, uh, to, to enter a new phase of life. Those of you who are grandparents, you understand a little bit. Um, I never understood why, why grandparents were okay to spoil the kids, even though they didn't do that for your own kids. Now I understand. So really whatever they want, I'll probably end up giving them. I wanted to share a little bit about what we do, Tri-M. Um, we uh, shared this, I shared this last night as well, but just to recap those who weren't there. Um, we began ministry in 2010. We went down to Costa Rica working with the police and local authorities. Uh, we did that for a couple years, and then God moved us to work primarily with uh, pastors. And you might remember several years ago, there was a, a season of about two years where I was we were hiking into the jungles, working with a, a, a tribe into the jungles there. That was working side by side with one of our pastors um, and partners in ministry at the time. And that continued to, to develop. And as we uh, began to, to work and train these pastors more informally around a cup of coffee at, in our dining room table, we uh, began to get a little bit more strategy in how we put things together and kind of a scope and sequence in an education terms of what we wanted to walk pastors through, which eventually brought us to the Trium team. Trium does uh, modular theological education, and uh, we decided to open up the, uh, the country of Costa Rica and Latin America for them during that time. And I worked with uh, several pastors, and we trained and equipped pastors there primarily for several years. And then in 2019, 
Um, I like to say I drew the, the short straw. They, they made me the director of the organization. So now I actually uh, get the opportunity to, to run the, the ministry um, and to oversee the, uh, the, the teachers, the missionaries that we have traveling and teaching. The, the mission, uh, our mission is to assist national pastors and other spiritual leaders to be better able to reach their own people by teaching, equipping, and strengthening them, especially in areas of limited access to traditional missions and wherever there is a, a, real, a true need for biblical teaching. Uh, we, we go to what I would say kind of hard-to-reach places. Um, sometimes it's physically hard to reach. Uh, a lot of times when we travel, it takes us two or three days to get to the locations where we are going to go. It's kind of the whole planes, trains, and automobiles. We take everything to get to those spots. Sometimes it's harder to reach them just because of political issues or because of economic issues. Uh, we, we like to, uh, to go to places where, where people aren't usually, where other ministries aren't providing this opportunity to help them, uh, these pastors have, have uh, a mode where they can learn and grow in their, in their education. We are mobile. There's three M's in tri-M. It stands for mobile modular ministry. We are mobile. We travel. We get on the planes. We travel to them. We don't build, not, not that it's wrong, but we don't build seminaries. We don't build colleges, buildings. We travel. We do meet in churches and, and other locations that we can. And uh, as much as possible, we try to make ourselves be the one that does the moving around so that they don't have to. And it gives them the opportunity to do their, to stay in their current ministry and still be able to get, receive education. We do modular theological education, and that's becoming more and more popular over the years. When Tryon began in 1992, this was not popular at all. Um, and now it has become very popular. The idea of doing uh, one week or two week long intensive classes where they would take a, a course, maybe the book of Romans or something, and they would have uh, pre-class work that they would do going into it. They would have lectures for uh, anywhere between four to eight hours a day for a week or for two weeks. And then they would have homework assignments and more projects that they would be able to do and implement directly into their current ministries. And it's a way that we can uh, help these men and, and leaders not only uh, learn, but actually be able to apply what they're learning immediately into their current ministries. The third M is ministry. And by ministry, uh, what I mean by there is that is our target audience. We are gearing men and women who are leaders in their churches and, and men who are pastoring these churches who are currently actively involved in ministry. Now, yeah, we have, we have students who are not pastors and wanting to become pastors for sure. But our target audience are the trainers of, the, of, the, of their own church. So we kind of train the trainers is what, is what we do. We want to go in and we want to teach. Uh, we have a class that may have 8, 10, 12 pastors in it. And the idea is by teaching those 12 pastors, we have now reached 12 different churches. Because everything we give them is theirs. They have all the material. They can reproduce it all they want. We don't care about our name, Triumph, being around the world. We don't care about that. We don't care about building our own programs. We want them to be able to reproduce that for their own churches. And that is vitally important for us. And, and, the, and the core of our mission and our, and our DNA is the idea of, of going in and training and equipping and releasing ministry to the national leaders so that they can reproduce that in their own ministries. That's a little bit about our ministry. Um, and we'll be out. There's a table out there. Uh, we have an email, a newsletter that comes out uh, about every month. 
And uh, if you haven't signed up for that and you would like to, I would encourage you to do that. We have prayer cards and more information, and we'd like to share more about the ministry if you have questions about that later. I want to, um, I want to talk a little bit about a, a friend of mine. And Alex, uh, I, I met Alex about 18 or 19 years ago. Um, I believe it was in around 2004. Um, and we bo- he and I were both a lot younger at that point. And uh, Alex was a music teacher who was uh, kind of a, a part-time working on as the worship pastor uh, of a church in the capital of Costa Rica, San Jose. I was down there on a missions trip. I was a youth pastor at the time at my church and uh, got to meet Alex and we worked with him on a short-term missions trip. And I remember talking with Alex about his desire to go plant a church. He wanted to be sent out from their church, Emmanuel, and they wanted to go plant a church in another area where there wasn't a lot of churches around or solid churches. And he had even talked at that point about he wanted to do multiple churches that were networked together and, and really it was, it was pretty, pretty cutting edge for a Costa Rican at that point in time. And I remember uh, working with Alex, talking with him, and then fast forward a couple years, I went every year on a trip down to Costa Rica uh, in, the ter- in, the, in the time frame of about six years I did nine trips down to Costa Rica, and many of those times, I was working with Alex. One, uh, second or third time down, our, our youth group actually did a missions trip, and we had a, a kind of a youth camp. And from that youth camp, there were m- many, like 10, 12, 15 people that came to Christ. That became the core of his church plant. And he began to plant this church. And now, fast forward several years, Alex has three different churches that were all running. Um, he was pastoring one and overseeing the other two by other guys preaching and pastoring there. I was down in Costa Rica this past uh, September, and I heard that Alex has, has had a shift, a re- kind of redirection in his life. So I, I text him, and I'm like, hey, in Spanish, but I'm like, hey, I, I'd, I'd like to, be, uh, to meet up and have some coffee and find out what's going on in your life. And he said, absolutely. So we, we met for a cup of coffee, and that's where this picture was taken. Um, Alex is in his, I don't know exactly, but it's in his upper 50s. So he's, he's in the upper 50s. I'm thinking 58-ish in that area. Alex is like, you know, John, I really feel God directing us to go onto the mission field. He and his wife. And here's a man that I've always known for him to be pretty innovative, pretty, pretty out there, really wanting to, wanting to push things. He has a, a son that's in his mid-20s. Um, they have family that are there in San Jose. He's got family. She's his wife, Alejandra. She has family there as well. And he's like, I've come across this group that is going, and they're working on church planting in Sicily. And um, I really think God, I, I met with these guys, and they really want me to come on and join the team and really help as more as a mentor to these young church planters as they plant this church throughout Sicily. And I'm like, well, I asked him, well, what does your wife think? And she's like, He's like, you know what? She said, let's, let's go. She's willing to do this. And as I reflected on this, and I actually texted Alex a couple days ago to see how he's doing, and in March they're doing a preview trip, and next September they're planning on, on moving there. He does not speak Italian, so he's in his upper 50s, and we'll have to, now he knows Spanish, and yes, they're close, but they're different. <laughs> and he's going to have to learn and pick up Italian now in his, in his upper 50s. And, and it reminded me, because I, I met with him, and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old now to be doing this. And I, and I reminded him that the average age of our team is in their low 60s, so he was plenty young enough to be able to go out and do this. 
Nothing ever really stopped Alex from taking that step. Planting a church, to, to, to becoming a pastor from a music teacher. Then to go planting churches, then multiple churches in Costa Rica. And now, later in his, in his later 50s, going into the 60s now, basically leaving his family. And, and yes, they could always return home and visit family. But remember, he is a, even now, he is a bivocational pastor. They don't have the money to do that. So this is kind of a, a trip where it's like, this, this is, this is going to be their, their, their last move onto the mission field. And I was so encouraged by that. And I'm like, Alex, why? Why now? And he's like, because there's such a desperate need for missionaries around the world. And it kind of reminded me of our calling to missions. My wife and I, we didn't go to a missions conference, hear a message, and come forward. We didn't, that's not how God brought us into missions. For us, it was the realization of, there's a lot of people doing my job right now as a pastor here in the States. I think we're willing to move and we're willing to sell our stuff and to go on the mission field. That was it. And I hear Alex's story. I'm like, that's very similar. Alex is like, they need missionaries and we, we can do it. It's just that, just that, that unique way uh, of God bringing people into ministry. You can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look there. I want to talk a little bit, just, just briefly here, on... Um, And I lost my clicker, but that's okay. Just leave, leave it the way it is for right now. Um, on, on, uh, in, in Luke chapter 9, I want us to read here a little bit. We're going to look at, at a story where Jesus is talking to three different people. And he talks to them uh, about following him. And it's unique. It's very interesting the way to hear what Jesus says, and then, or to, to the questions that they ask and so forth, and then the way that Jesus responds to them. In Luke chapter 9, let me read the the whole passage first. Verses 57 to 62, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their Uh, their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, but Lord, let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's open our time here in prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd help us now to see your word, to understand what it has to say, May we be challenged, Lord, and may we apply it to our lives when we leave. I ask in your name, amen. The first point I want to talk about here is is this first man. This first man uh, goes, and as they're walking, uh, someone says to to Jesus, he's like, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus tells this whole thing about foxes. You know, foxes have a place to go. The birds have a nest. But the Son of Man, he has nowhere, he has nowhere to rest his head. It's interesting because the context of this passage, if you go back just a few verses here, uh, verse 51, and verse 51 to 56, you see, uh, you see that Jesus is walking, and they're heading towards Jerusalem, and they're, they're, they're going through a town, a Samaritan town. And uh, J- as they're walking there, J- Jesus sends a couple disciples in there ahead and says, why don't you go find us a place? Well, the, the people in the Samaritan town, they realized 
that they were going, that, they, that Jesus and the disciples, they were going to be going to Jerusalem. And if you remember in, in your biblical history, there's some tension there between the Jews and between the, the Samaritans. And there's just, there's a lot of tension there. And what happened was, uh, this town basically said, we got no place for you. We don't want you here. Now the, the disciples were like, Jesus, do you want us to send down fire and consume them? And Jesus rebukes them, and he just, and he continues on. So we are just now following up, Jesus walking into a town, or going to, realizing that there's no place to go, and needing to continue to walk, continue to travel to find a place to stay. And on this path, this person says, I'll follow you everywhere you go. And Jesus says, even the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head down. First point I want to talk about is, following Jesus isn't about our comfort. It's just a fact. Following Jesus is, isn't about you and I being comfortable. Now, there are times, certainly, we can be comfortable. And there are certain times that, that, yeah, life does seem easy to us. But the idea of following Jesus is a life of discomfort, of being uncomfortable from time to time. I told you, uh, we, get the, uh, we teach in all these countries. I, I get the opportunity, Triam is right now currently, uh, we're in and out of 21 countries around the world. Um, we are in a variety of contexts. And uh, I, I can tell you at times in countries that I love going to because they are very comfortable. And it is, I, I absolutely love them. And then there are other countries that are not as comfortable. One country in particular that we are in, um, when we show up to teach, there's actually an apartment that they provide for us. So we're there for a week or two and we're teaching. We have a, we're on the seventh or eighth floor of this apartment. Um, there is heat, which is a big deal there. Um, it, there. There's heat in the apartment. There's running water that you can actually drink. Um, there uh, is minimal food, but you can, you can walk down. There's stores right there. Um, it's, it's a beautiful, for the most part, beautiful country, area to be in. And quite frankly, I, I love that area, that part of the, in, in Eastern Europe, that part of the world. There's another country that I went into. Um, that I think we paid $15 a night for the hotel, and in reality, I wouldn't pay five. I, I, when I travel to rougher countries, I, I have a silk sleeping bag liner that you can purchase that helps you from bed bugs. And, because uh, you just don't know what you, where you're going to end up. This is the realities of missions work. And I remember I, I was in this country, and uh, it was it was pretty dicey, this hotel we were in. And I climbed in the bed in my sleeping bag, and I'm like, I'll be fine. And in my sleep, I didn't realize that my arms kind of went out and laid on top of the, the blankets that were o over me. And uh, I woke up at about 5 a.m., and both of my arms were swollen with uh, hives just all up and down. And it wasn't bed bugs, praise the Lord, but it was something, mold or whatever. And at 5 a.m., I'm taking an allergy medicine. I'm taking a cold shower because there's no hot water. I'm taking a cold shower for almost an hour. And finally, the swelling starts to go down. I was in that country teaching for 21 days. Miserable. I'm going back in, in a handful of, of months because they, that's, what, that's what we needed to be doing. It's not about our comfort. It's not about uh, you and I having an easy life. And, and missions work, many missions, missionaries will tell you, it's not always comfortable, but neither is being a believer here. Shouldn't be. It's not about your comfort. The second person that Jesus talks to. He says, uh, he, he goes on, and he says, to another he says, follow me. But he said, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, 
Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, when you read this, and these actually these next two, it seems very harsh, Jesus' response. It seems like, whoa, I mean, why, why, why do you got to be that way? And he's like, let me, I'll follow you, but, but let me go bury my father. See, in the Jewish custom, in that tradition, uh, it was super important for the, for the son, for the family, to make sure that their parents were buried. One of the worst fears that, a, that a, a Jewish male would have is that he would die before his parents and that they would not have someone to, to, to bury them in the future. That was a, a really big deal. And Jesus responds and says, and says uh, let the dead bury the dead. Now, people have softened this, commentators have softened this, and said perhaps the, the young man, his father wasn't even dead yet. Perhaps he was saying, let me wait for a while until I've done all these responsibilities and, and then I'll, I'll follow you. And that could be the case. Nothing in the context necessarily says that, though. We don't know. The reality is what, what Jesus is saying here is that following Jesus is about our commitment over everything. He's saying there's a matter of priorities. And, and yes, it sounds extreme, and the reality of it is, is your commitment to following Christ needs to be extreme. It needs to take you to places that are uncomfortable. It needs to take you to places to encourage you to reach out and, and, to, and to be in, in, in places and doing things that other people may look at you and say, what are you doing? I remember uh, when we went to the mission field. Now, we, we're a unique family in that my wife's family, they were, they were father-in-law was a pastor, and uh, then they were missionaries into Russia. And uh, so they, they understand missions. It's a missions family. My mom and dad uh, have always been very missions-minded. So the idea of us going was not a, a huge uh, obstacle for them to overcome. But there's also the fact that people in our church, friends, who would always come to you and basically, why, why are you doing this? Why would you go there? Do you realize that this, this, and they tell you all these statistics about Latin America or whatever? I get the opportunity here in, uh, in uh, a couple months to, to, to go to a little more hostile areas um, in, the, in the Middle East, and I'll be, I'll be teaching and doing some, some work over there as well. And you're constantly being asked the questions, why would you do that? Well, it's because we're, we're God's directing. It's because God has opened doors, and we need to be faithful and following, even in uncomfortable areas, because our commitment, God's commitment to Christ, demands that on us. Following Jesus is about our commitment over everything. The third person here, um, he says, says to Jesus, I will follow you, but first, let me say farewell to those people at home. And it's very similar. Um, he's basically saying, let me, let me go back, let me say goodbye, let me, let me uh, really be with uh, my family before, before we leave. And Jesus responds and says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's, you know, we, we've probably heard the illustration about when you look back from the plow, what happens. Uh, I, I've, over the years, we've had the opportunity uh, to reintroduce the idea of mowing lawns to my children. Because you've got to realize in Costa Rica, you either, mow, you either mow your lawn with a machete or you weed eat it because you only have a little patch of grass. 
So the idea of having a lawnmower and pushing a lawnmower is something that my kids actually haven't had to do, um, and now they do. And, and the idea of trying to get a straight line, of course, uh, can be tricky. And if you're looking around and you're not paying attention, that line gets all wavy, and, and you've got to be really careful on that. And some of what Jesus is saying here is that. It's like, if you're plowing and you look back, you're not, you're not going to go the direction that, that you need to go. You're not going to cut a straight path. And he's sitting here saying, following Jesus is about acting when Jesus calls. When he calls you into ministry. We have verses here, uh, Luke 5, uh, 11. And when, they had, uh, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Luke 5, 28. And leaving everything, he, Levi, rose and followed him. This idea of, of leaving everything behind and obeying when Christ calls. No one looks back. That phrase literally means uh, to look at the things behind you. And it's interesting because how many times as a missionary have I looked back and been like, oh. you know, we've, we've been at this for a little while now, and uh, we've had the ups and downs of life and ministry. And we've asked the questions, are we, are we really just messing our kids up by having them leave, living in a foreign country? Are we, you know, all these questions and doubts that you have as a parent and the decisions that you make. You just like, you know, my kids don't get the opportunity. I, I played football, I wrestled, I ran track, um, I, I, all the sports. My kids didn't get the opportunity to do that in Latin America. I mean, they, they have soccer there, but, you know, I'm a football guy, not soccer. It's like, that, that, that regret, that, and yet you're ch I'm challenged here to, in a challenge of obedience. When God calls, we can't look back. We can't look back and, 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 and wish and dream of, of how it used to be. Philippians 3, 13, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. Paul's like putting everything in the past, putting it back in the past. I continue to march forward for the call, the glory of God that he has called me to. I want to uh, read a few statistics here. If you can see that. 95% of pastors worldwide have little or no formal theological education. That is a mission stat, um, and we have seen that time and time again uh, over the years. I've, I've, I've told the story maybe even here before of my friend Edgardo, the guy that I would hike through the jungles with, and um, when he became a pastor, they, uh, he was a faithful attender of the church. He was hungry for God's word. The pastor left and literally, on the day that he left, he said, Agardo, you are really faithful. You are really, man, you know God's word here. And he hands him his Bible and he goes, why don't you pastor this church? And that's how my friend Agardo became the pastor of the church. No education when it comes to, to biblical education. Time and time again, I have heard that. I could tell you stories of pastors uh, in Eastern Europe, pastors in Central Asia, who they've been given a Bible they received Christ as their Savior. They feel God's call in their life, so they started a church. 
I was in one country where, with a former Hindu priest who was now pastoring a church, taking our classes for the first time, and it was the first theological education he's ever had. He was a previous Hindu. All he had was the ability to read God's word, which, praise the Lord, he had that ability to, to do that. 95%. Theological education for pastors, for leaders, is vital, is so critical around the world. 86% of all unre- unreached people groups lie within the 1040 window. Now, we all know by now, I believe, where the 1040 window is. 86% of all the unreached people groups li- live in that hard-to-reach area that are restricted to many of us. Over 70,000 people die every day within an unreached people group. 60% of the unreached people groups live in countries that are closed to American missionaries. It's interesting, so you say, well, why would I share that stat? Because how can we help in that? When we were in the country of Costa Rica living there, I knew several ministries who their, jo- their, their, their goal was to train Latinos to be able to go into Middle Eastern countries, countries within this 1040 window, to be able to, to reach them with the gospel and to help them plant and build churches. Uh, Latin Americans, they have uh, less obstacles to overcome. As you can imagine, as an American, there are many obstacles that we have to overcome when you go into some of those countries, if you can even get into there. They're able to go in and out without, without a problem. They're able to make these contacts, these networks, and, and their goal is to help others plant churches in those areas. One of my very best friends and, and, and ministry partners um, is in and out of one Asian country that certainly is restricted to all, all Americans. But he is able to go in there because uh, of a business that he has here in the States. They sell Epicac which is a base for many medicines. They get able to go into this country and they're able to, to build the, uh, these, these networks with and meet people. And, and it's just neat to see a place that we would never be able to be in. And yet he is able to freely come and go without a problem. 818 unreached people groups have never been targeted by any Christian agency ever. The need is great. The need for, for missions has not changed. 28% of the world is still unevangelized. Okay? Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because we are living post-2020 right now. Okay? I don't know if you guys realized or knew it, but in 2020, there was a pandemic that went around the world. And missions... And working around the world became very hard, very difficult, but missions became, I think, very, very complicated. And now, as the economy, even in the United States, is, is, is in and out and ebbing and flowing and, and fluctuating and struggling from times, it's hard for missionaries, and, and some of you know this, it's hard for missionaries to raise support. It's hard for missionaries to get onto the field. It's hard for people to be willing to stop their business, to quit their job, to sell everything and to move to a foreign country but nothing has changed in the need around the world. Hard times have hit the world many times over. And I want to use this as an opportunity to challenge us to make these bold steps, to do something that 
doesn't seem to make sense in human eyes because God is calling you, God is directing you to do that. Now, obviously, we can, this goes into deeper. We want to church support, and, and the people need to, we are sent by churches, and, and we want to pray about it, and we want to make sure that it is God's direction on your life, that that is what God has for you to do. But the reality of it is, the world needs more missionaries. It has not stopped. It has not become less and less of a need for us. That what's happened is the U.S. has sent less and less missionaries out there, and more of the world are sending other missionaries around. Maybe today, maybe this weekend, God is working in your heart and challenging you in the area of missions or in the area of ministry. I have seen God use missionaries all over the world doing a variety of things. I've seen it from, from a, uh, teaching and equipping to orphanages. We've seen it from uh, uh, using sign language as, a, as, a, as an opportunity. We've seen it as selling coffee or selling tea as an opportunity to get into countries to do it. We've seen farming in missions. I've seen engineering. I have one friend who uh, all he does is he comes down to, to Latin America for two or three months a year, and all he does is he helps missionaries network their computers, their printers, their office stuff, because he's a tech-type guy, and I am not. <laughs> And he's able to do that for us and be a blessing and help us in our ministries. No matter what you are doing, no matter what career you are in, God can use you in some way. So I want us to end here asking a few questions. First, what has following Christ cost you? We talk about our creature comforts. What has following Christ cost you over the years? It's an important question for us to ask as we read and as we study this passage. Number two, what does your commitment to Christ look like? When other people see you, and they see your life, do they see Jesus Christ? Do they see you to be different? Do they see the decisions, the priorities that you make in your life to be different because of your following of Jesus Christ? Finally, what role is God asking you to play in world missions? We know this. Maybe you, God wants you to go. Maybe God wants you to be a sender. Someone who is here, who is able to, I mean, missionaries can't go without the support. We need that. And maybe God, say, maybe God sees that, or you, God's telling you that is your role, to be that encourager, that sender of missionaries. Maybe your, your strength is prayer. We have several churches that that is their bread and butter. And if I have an issue, we have problems, we have issues that need to happen, we call, immediately we'll call them and say, can you guys start praying about this? But I will say, being the sender and the prayer sometimes becomes a cop-out. Maybe God is asking you to go. And I will challenge you in that as well. Reflect on what God is doing in your life. What is God? How is God directly? We all need to be involved in missions at some level as a follower of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to briefly look in your word, Lord, and to, to see these three men who talked with Jesus and the way that Christ responded, Lord, and showed the level of commitment what you demand, Lord. May we reflect that in our lives. I ask this in your name. Amen.